and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hey, Path 11 Podcast listeners, I was wondering if you have checked out our Patreon page yet. If not, you can go to path11podcast.com and click on the Patreon button. And for just a dollar, one dollar donation, you can have access to some private things that we are putting up on the Patreon page, like my MBT experience that I took in Tennessee with Tom Campbell. I did a an audio journal for about the four days explaining what had happened to me during my binaural beat session. It was amazing, impacted my life, changed my life, but we are only going to allow our Patreon supporters access to the four days of my journal entry. And it is a Food for Thought Friday, so that is where you can find it. You can donate just a dollar to listen to it. If you like the content that we have up on Patreon, you can continue to keep your subscription for $1 a month. Otherwise, you can cancel it at any time. So head on over to path11podcast.com and click on the button that says Patreon. I was wondering if you guys heard or actually have been over to our website or YouTube channel to see that we just launched a new web series called Conversations on the Path. It's awesome. I get to sit down with everyday people who are finally connected and knowing their purpose and trying to make changes in the world, trying to uplift consciousness and bring healing to people. We are going to introduce you to people that you probably have never even heard about, amazing projects, amazing things that these everyday people just like you and me are doing in the world to help educate others. We have a few episodes that are out now. One is on CBD oil. Another one is on um, dowsing. We have another episode which is talking about the plastic straw movement and how we are changing the world and helping to heal the ocean with earth last straw. And we also have a great interview that's going to be coming out soon on peaceful cities where we have people who are meditating over high crime areas and reducing the reduction of crime. So that's what these episodes are like on Conversations on the Path. If you haven't already, check them out. I think you're going to love them. I have a quick announcement before we get to our guest today on the Path 11 podcast, and I wanted to remind you that you can head on over to our website, path11productions.com, and you're going to see Afterlife Awareness Conference. I'd like you to click on that link, and I want you to know that we now have a membership to the directory of all the videos from this live stream event that we filmed back in November of 2018. There were some amazing speakers at this conference, which include William Buhlman from the Monroe Institute, Suzanne Northrup, and Thomas John, who were amazing psychic mediums. You get a chance to see them reading the audience and the people validating what they were saying. Another one of my favorites was Suzanne Geisman, who is also a medium and intuitive counselor and told a fantastic account and story of a soul that had passed away, but left all of these clues and came back to communicate with people. Um, Monica Williams Murphy, she is a doctor and and had a great presentation about conscious dying in the clinical setting. Terry Daniel and Linda Fitch also had amazing uh, workshops that they presented as well. So I'd like you guys to head on over path11productions.com and click on Afterlife Conference. Check out and see all the videos that we have available to you for this membership that we have going on. 
And now on to our show. everyone. We have a great show today. So some of you may know that some of our shows are pre-recorded and this show is actually being recorded on December 7th of 2018. Very auspicious because it is a new moon and I am interviewing a witch, <laughs> but she's, but she's more than a witch, but I would like to introduce to you, Daniel Dolsky. She is the author of the Holy Wild and Woman Most Wild. She's also a Celtic freestyle witch, a lover of Irish paganism and is also an artist, yoga teacher, energy worker, and founder of Living Mandala Yoga Teacher Training Programs. She leads women's circles, witchcraft workshops, and energy healing trainings, and lives in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. Danielle, welcome. Thank you, April. Very happy to be here. Yeah. So, so maybe we can even start off a little bit with the word witch. Um, yes. how, how do we how do we talk about it and make it not seem freaky, scary, or you know just some of the things that that word comes with, uh, so we can get our audience kind of a little settled if that word freaks them out a little bit and really have them understand what it means um, to be a witch. Yeah. So what I usually tell people that have kind of that visceral negative reaction to the word witch, like they might have to pagan or heathen, um, I usually say that, you know, to, to kind of look at where that belief comes from. So if they ask themselves, like, well, why does that really scare me? And then they ask themselves, what's under that? And what's under that? And what's under that? What they get back to is a realization that the belief that a witch is evil or sinful or something isn't usually even their own belief. It comes from childhood or some form of indoctrination. So, um, so that's the first thing I usually say is that if you have that visceral negative reaction, that perhaps that reaction isn't even yours. It's something that was kind of uh, ingrained into your psyche when you were much, much younger. Um, and then as far as what, a, what being a witch really means, I think that any witch would give you a different answer to that question. Um, but for me, what I usually say is that a witch is anyone who meets both of two conditions. And the first one is that, first of all, they practice witchcraft. And that means different things to different people as well. But they would say that they practice witchcraft. And then also that they have claimed the name witch which for themselves. So which isn't a name that can be given to you by any external authority. It is a name that must be claimed as your own, um, even following what might have been an initiation from an external source. It's really a name that needs to be owned uh, rather than given. Okay. All right. So I think that's a good start. Um, can you also bring us into how you came to be into, you know, this, this witch and, you know, you're an author and, you know, you're doing yoga and all of this stuff. So just bring us through your past a little bit. Okay. So that's a really long story <laughs> in a nutshell. <laughs> it's a long story because it started so long ago. Sure. Um, in a nutshell, uh, I was raised very strict born again, Christian. So my mother was sort of in charge of my, um, uh, religious indoctrination. And so I went to a born again, Christian school every day. And then I had church, um, at least twice a week. And then my father was this atheist biker rebel 
cannibal outlaw. So when I, wow. when I try to explain the bizarre product that is me, that's where I came from. <laughs> and um, so I kind of had this, uh, th- this validation from my father to rebel against authority uh, amidst this very strict um, religious um, upbringing that was going on. So um, by the time I was eight years old, I was already hiding books on witchcraft under my bed. So The Spiral Dance by Starhawk was the first book that I ever hid under my bed. Um, And tarot cards and, you know, things that gave me that feeling like, you know, oh, this is this is bad. So it has to be interesting. (laughs) Right. And and then when I was 12 years old and I don't remember exactly how it happened, but my mother was talking about how yoga was evil. And I just thought, you know, that that must be really cool. That must be that must be something that I should be doing. And I was too young to actually go to my go to a yoga class on my own. So it was my dad who signed me signed the liability release so I could take this yoga class when I was very young. And I remember the teacher looking at the world in this way that I didn't look at the world, right? She was talking about seeing a deer cross the road and how it was the most beautiful and poetic experience of her life. And I thought, I want to look at the world the way she looks at the world. And then there was also that idea that the body was holy and that the divine in me honors the divine in you. And I thought, wow, all of this are, all of these are things that I hadn't heard before. So it intrigued me. And so witchcraft and yoga, they kind of paralleled one another in terms of my spiritual development throughout my teenage years. And then I moved to Ireland when I was 18. And um, I only lived there for six months. But there was this undercurrent of paganism that kind of existed right alongside uh, Catholicism, which was really interesting and weird to me, and also in my blood and ancestral. So by the time I came home to the United States, there was this kind of conviction, like I'm, I'm kind of going to throw myself into this path of witch, and yet I wasn't really telling anybody about it. Um, and so I kept doing that until I was 25. By that time, I had moved to this very conservative part of Florida. I had had my first son, and I had one of those dark night of the soul moments where you're nursing your baby and you feel like the loneliest person in the world. And I was thinking about how I want this baby to grow up and be as authentic as possible. And I didn't want him to have to hide any part of himself. And yet I was being a little bit hypocritical because I was hiding this huge part of my spiritual path. So there was this like strategic decision (laughs) that I made in that moment where I was like, I'm not going to hide this part of me anymore. Um, and so that was sort of my coming out of the broom closet moment, um, like witches <laughs> like to say, or coming out of the broom closet moment. And um, and then after that, it, there was kind of this thirst for, you know, somebody, some spiritual authority to tell me I was being a very good girl. And I, what happened to me is something that's a common experience for younger witches. They fall into this um, spiritual predatory kind of environment because they're just so um, used to having to rely on an authority figure or someone to tell them that they're doing it right or whatever. Um, so that, that's what I call my great wounding and I won't go into it too much. But after that, I was like, that's it. I'm never, 
um, going to tell anybody I'm a witch ever again. <laughs> I'm going back into the broom closet. And so my whole family fell apart as a result of this great wounding that was very much linked to my witchcraft. And I moved back to Pennsylvania, where I was from, and I decided that I was just going to be very quiet and like a, a solitary living room witch for the rest of my life and never tell anyone. And that lasted for like five minutes. So since then, it's been about 10 years, and I live in a very open-armed community where I was almost immediately teaching, even though I was in this place of, um, you know, kind of being afraid of sharing my witchcraft with anybody else. So that has been going on for uh, 10, 11 years, and I started writing more and just being more and more out there. Um, and yes, that is my life in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. I mean, it gives us a little, you know, a better understanding of where you came from and what this is all about and, you know, what's going on in your life. Um, before we had you on, Mike and I usually talk a little bit before we go into our interviews. And he said that he recently came across an article and he was trying to just, you know, sum it up for me, but I wanted to get your take on it too, um, where he read that there's uh, kind of the younger generation are starting to turn more towards becoming a Wiccan or a witch instead of really um, diving into organized religion. And they're kind of dropping their traditional uh, religious beliefs. Are you seeing a trend like that as well? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, that's the result of, of many, many sociocultural forces. But one of the prominent ones, I think, is this dire state that our planet is in and also the volatile political climate, of course. But their witchcraft, unlike many other religions or spiritual paths, really validates the elements and nature as holy, which that is very needed right now, urgently needed right now, uh, a reverence for the planet in order to save humanity. And that's sort of a new condition, I think, as far as spiritual traditions go, that, um, you know, witchcraft has this reverence for the earth that other religions may not share, or at least not, it, it's not, um, made very prominent in philosophy and, and kind of um, expressed in the churches and the temples and the synagogues. So, um, you know, people turning to witchcraft is a, a salvation for the planet in a lot of ways. Great. Okay. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've interviewed, I think, one other witch <laughs> on our podcast. <laughs> and, you know, she was kind of explaining some of that, too. Um, and so I, I'd like you to explain a little bit for me this question that I have in my mind is the difference between maybe witchcraft and shamanic practices. I see a little bit of similar things involved and, you know, because there's like, there's ritual, there's honoring of the earth. There's, um, in the book, the Holy wild that you wrote, um, you have all of these different rituals for the elements. And mm -hmm. when I think about my exposure, um, to, it was a study in African shamanism, you know, every year they're doing a ritual, uh, related to the elements and 2019 coming up in this one tradition is the year of mineral. So, um, and then, you know, but then when I hear witchcraft, sometimes my mind goes to spells and I don't know why, maybe that's just the way it was, it's been like shown on TV and stuff. But then when I'm reading your books and I'm looking at, you know, these beautiful rituals that you have in here, I'm like, gosh, this, this kind of reminds me a lot of some of the work that I've done in women's circles, but it was, uh, led more by a shaman. Mm -hmm. So is there, is there an overlap in the two or any thoughts about that? 
There is very, yes, very much so there is an overlap. I think that I'm in the middle of doing this indigenous Irish shamanism training too, and there's just so many parallels um, in terms of what the directions represent and the wheel of the year and the elements, of course, and that reverence for nature that I was speaking about. All of that um, very much, you know, if there's a Venn diagram of shamanism (laughs) and witchcraft, all of that would fall right in the middle. Um, And I think that you're absolutely right. Right, that that spells and and also perhaps this notion that we are not only a part of nature that would be integral to shamanism, of course, and also witchcraft, but also that we ha- have this sovereignty and this ability to direct energy in order to um, to manifest or heal or banish or protect. There's that sort of unique, uh, unique kind of empowering look at our belonging to the cosmic web that I think is particular to witchcraft and not so much shamanism. But there, there are very strong parallels between the two. And um, I think that most witches now recognize that, 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 um, those parallels exist. I don't know that most shamans would (laughs) would call themselves witches, but there's plenty of people that would call themselves a witch shaman for sure. Ah, okay. Interesting. Um, so let's see, let's talk a little bit about maybe the moon cycles, just because tonight is a new moon and, uh, I, I earmarked a section in here, the maiden's moon, hope and longing at the water's edge. This I think was in the water ritual um, piece, but you have a whole description of uh, the new moon being a symbol of the maiden. And you kind of go into, you know, what, what a new moon is about and the energy that it brings. So maybe let's talk a little bit about that and what one person could maybe do to honor the new moon uh, for themselves. Yeah, so new moons are our month, our monthly opportunity to begin again. So it's they're nice, right? Because they're they're kind of this reminder that for you know whatever ills we've committed or whatever wounds we might still have, that there is this monthly opportunity to start fresh. Um, and this particular new moon, it's the new long nights moon. So it is this very void kind of primordial womb space time of year um, where our greatest medicine is to rest and uh, reflect and to not really do too much. So just as a simple simple ritual for the new moon, um, you know, being in darkness and kind of lighting a candle, maybe or having this lone light source and just reflecting on the past year without it being a judgmental (laughs) sort of perspective where you're kind of taking an inventory of all of those goals you didn't meet or those dreams that didn't come true, but more of a reflection where it's like, this is a temporary ending and all is dying in order order to begin again. That's what, uh, that's what the new moon means. Okay. And how about, um, people are also familiar with the full moon. So could you talk a little bit about the difference between the full moon and the new moon? 
Yes, absolutely. So, so if new moons are beginnings, full moons are are our fruition, our our place of gratitude and also balance. So they're that kind of pivotal, almost apex in between this waxing manifestation and then that waning letting go that starts to happen uh, as we move toward the dark moon. So the full moon is a place of power and balance when our magic sort of turns to perhaps healing or or manifestation okay um i also had a friend of mine she started to get a little bit more into the moon cycles and she found a website i don't know if you've ever heard of it it's called moongiant.com where you can look up and see the night that you were born what the moon was doing ah yeah i have heard of that and what's is there anything significant about like if you're born and what what the moon is like what's why would that be important yeah, you know, I've heard different things. I don't know enough um, to speak about it from a place of intelligence okay. <laughs> or wisdom. I'm not. I'm not an astrologer at all. Um, but but yeah, I would say that you know our our whole birth story has a lot of uh, life lessons in it. So you know what the moon was doing, but also you know how long your birth was and. Um, you know, what happened in those, those kind of aching days that followed your birth. All of those are, are often metaphors for what happens to us as we get older. Right. Okay. Yeah. I just found it interesting. So, you know, if people want to look that up, if people are, you know, loving the moon cycles, uh, moongiant.com is a website that a friend gave to me. Um, so the other thing that I really love is you really, in your book, uh, the holy wild. And then, you know, the subtitle here is a heathen Bible for the untamed woman. Yes. <laughs> um, but you really talk a lot about connecting with the feminine and, um, you know, really connecting with, with women and how important that is for us to drop into the feminine and be connected to that. So I'd like to hear more about why that is so prominent in this book. Yeah, so I think that uh, it's important for for seekers and mystics and witches and heathens and all of those um, you know mystical sort of people to to begin to distinguish between those energies that are masculine and feminine and then that this idea of of male and female. So there's the, the feminine to me, and it doesn't matter whether you call it feminine or not. It, it's those parts of our society and our culture that have been historically suppressed or even denigrated. So our sensuality, our, our right to have our emotions kind of cycle and wax and wane, just like the moon does our storytelling nature, our, our ability to kind of embody the dark feminine and destroy and our intuition and our, our rage, you know, all of those things that we tend to suppress because we don't want to appear out of control or whatever. Um, that that's the medicine, the most potent medicine that is needed right now. So whether you call it feminine or not is an important, it's really, it's those parts of ourselves and our psyches that have been divorced from our spirituality, um, not only in our own lives, but also collectively for centuries, if not millennia. Um, so, you know, why is it important right now? Well, because it's, you know, we're at this kind of do or die time, <laughs> I think, in our human evolution. And so we need to look to those um, those lessons of the ancient 
patience, the, the old ways that have been forgotten, uh, because those are the greatest change agents right now. Great. Thank you. And um, I'd also wanted to go into a little bit of how you um, structured this book. And it's like the book within the books, right? <laughs> you have mm-hmm. uh, the book of earth, the book of water, the book of fire, the book of air, the book of ether. And through each of those, you have verses and then you have rituals for each element. Um, maybe it might be nice to explain each element uh, to our listeners in case this is like really new, uh, a new concept to them. And um, maybe what each element kind of brings to us. And yeah. kind of going through that. Sure. Yeah. So the the earth element is kind of like our ground. So it's our our place. It's the place from which we rise is what I say in the book. But it's it's our foundation. It is our um, our roots, our survival, our relationship to body, but also nature. So so earth is kind of the fundamentals or the basics. And then water is our fluidity and our emotionality and our sensuality and also our creativity and our art. Um, and then fire is our, our rage, our righteous rage, our ability to be change agents and those great transmuters of, of, you know, whatever our holy ache is. Um, and also our will and our agency and our autonomy and then air is our, there's a big leap from fire to air. So air is our uh, ability to, to be in community and also partnership. It is our romance. It is our, our uh, kind of open-armed ability to breathe and to give and receive in balance. Um, and then finally, ether. Ether is very, probably the most difficult element to explain. So we get less tangible as we ascend from earth to ether. And by the time we get to ether, we are in the place of mystery. So ether is where the ghosts roam. It's the, the spirit guides. It's, it's life after death. It's, it's all of those things that are held in mystery and, and importantly held in mystery, I think. Um, so, so, you know, when we're feeling in touch with the ether element, we're not saying we know anything for sure. We're in this place of, um, the, of liminality, uh, uh, and so the way these five elements work together, it, it, they do complement one another. You can't have one without the other. So if you have too much earth, then you never move. If you have too much fire, then you're constantly burning your world down. If you have too much ether, then you're always in this place of uncertainty and you have this kind of, um, you know, floating 10 feet above the earth kind of um, way about your psyche. And so too much of any of those elements isn't good. We need to have all five of those in our craft in balance. Um, and then also very much the, whatever we are, wherever we are in terms of the wheel of the year has, is a big informant of our craft. So right now under the long night's moon, we're very much in a place of ether. Um, and then as we get into late winter, we start to move back toward earth. But right now we are in crone time. We, we are in, we are knee deep in, in the ether. 
And okay, so tell me a little bit more about that. And what does that mean? Crone time? Um, mm -hmm. when, when does that lift? Or is that just for the year of 2018 or December or the week? <laughs> mm -hmm. No, so so it is in terms of the wheel of the year, when we're in we're in crone time from autumn until about midwinter, or in the Celtic tradition, it's in bulk around February 2nd. So it's whatever that cross quarter day is that midpoint in between winter solstice and the vernal equinox that's in bulk. And that's so that's sort of when the transition starts between crone and maiden. So we start to move from a place of prophecy to a place of sovereignty. And so what it means in terms of our magic, you can look at the whole solar cycle as very much linked to the lunar cycle. So when I was talking about before about the way our magic shifts from new moon to full moon to dark moon, right now we're sort of in that dark moon time of year. So our magic is that of, of letting go and non-doing and rest and grace and, um, and reflection. And when we start to get into maiden time during the spring, that's when we move toward that new moon manifestation, um, starting to uh, make the changes that we want in our world. And then full moon, that sustaining and balance, that gratitude, that summer solstice. And then that gradually starts to shift as we move closer toward autumn. Ah, okay. And that is like the cycles of the year every year. It's these certain times. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, so, but, but, you know, in terms of what 2018 is, this was very much a portal year. And so I was intrigued by, you know, path 11 productions, right? Because path 11, it's an 11 year. Um, and so 11s are portals. And so they're these kind of like almost witchy time machine years <laughs> where we're sort of like flung, um, you know, like many incarnations forward on our soul's path or something we're just it's it's this year where you kind of look back and reflect and you're like wow that was a lot of change very quickly <laughs> yeah <laughs> that well you know that makes sense it does <laughs> looking back yes and so what does um what would 2019 be i mean that adds up to 12 mm -hmm. um which so is a three which is a three. Yep. And that's too, like what I was saying earlier in that other African uh, shamanism, they kind of do the same thing where they add up these numbers and depending upon the number of the year that dictates the element that they're in. So I don't know if, if it's the same with uh, what you do here, but yeah, I'd love to hear about what 2019 is about so I could prepare yeah. and brace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, wouldn't that be nice if we could, <laughs> we could care yeah. for everything just by the number? Um, let's quantify everything. So, so 2019, it's a three. So, um, I don't know so much about uh, a, a really clear connection between the the numbers and the elements, but I I know that a three would be like a maiden a maiden year, so a, a, a year of of beginnings and also joy, which is nice. <laughs> Um, so it's, it's, um, it's like the power of three times three, you know, it's, it's this great Trinity number. So we're, it's a time of learning. Uh, I think threes are learning, um, and kind of gathering all of the tools that you need for, for what 2020 will be, which is a four year, which is a year 
of, of stability, right? So this, this next year, 2019, it's still very much a, a time of change, but I would say it would be like gathering all of those tools that came to you during that portal year of 2018 and making good use of them and kind of using discernment and deciding, you know, what, if, if, if 2020 is going to be a year of greater stability, then what do I want those building blocks to really be for, for that foundation? All right. Well, that's cool. <laughs> I like to hear 2020 things might just stable out a little bit, but neat, neat. This is yeah. good stuff. Um, so uh, on a side note here, I wanted to talk about maybe the winter solstice as you were kind of talking about this crone time and I'm just uh, processing some things myself. I'm going to be running, I usually run a woman's wellness um, series once a year. And, um, for some reason I was called after a, a deep meditation training that I took in November to do something where it's more ritual based. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, being a mental health therapist too, I tend to blend the clinical with some of that stuff, but was getting a real strong call that women need more ritual, more community, a little less talk and more like expression through what the rituals provide. And so I'm doing a nine week series starting in January, 2019 through February. And, um, and I was, when I was reading your book, I saw the winter solstice honoring the bones and mm -hmm. reading that. And I was like, wow, that sounds really cool. And kind of in line with a little bit of what I was hoping to bring, um, to these women. So I was wondering if you can talk a little bit more about that. And if you think that would be maybe a nice thing to do during this time of January and February, or if you have any other recommendations, <laughs> Yeah. So, um, right. So, so, you know, how do we, I think that the big question during that early winter time is how do we let the crone grandmother, the maiden? So how do we use this wisdom that we've gathered in order to kind of midwife or, or, uh, you know, grandmother, these seeds that we're going to be planting for the next year. And how do we do that in a way where we're holding ourselves in this fierce compassion? Because I think that one of the most, one of the more damaging, even though that feels like too strong of a word, one of the more damaging things that, that we tend to do in our society is like, as soon as January 1st hits, everybody's like, build your vision board and <laughs> decide exactly what you're going to do for the next year. And that that really is still this resting in darkness time when we get to January. Um, so, so I think that the best medicine in terms of ritual that we have is, is divination or prophecy. So there's this great practice that I love, uh, especially in, um, at midwinter, which is called wild divination. So you just kind of go out into nature, or you can also gather natural objects like crystals and bones or stones or, or whatever you might find. They don't have to be these beautiful, <laughs> objectively beautiful objects. They can be very mundane, um, but of nature. And then if they're objects, you just kind of throw them and let them land the way they will. If you're going out in nature, then you kind of go, you walk and you look with what I call soul eyes. So you try to see the world with this kind of uh, lack of focus almost. So you're kind of walking with these eyes that are like, um, if you remember the magic eye puzzles from the nineties, oh, <laughs> you yeah, kind yeah. of have this <laughs> lack of focus, you try to kind of see that way. And, um, so you're not trying to label everything like, Oh, 
oh, there's a tree. Oh, there's a bird. You're trying to see the world and, and like it's a complete almost painting. Um, and and you gather your messages that way. So you hold a question in your heart. You know, is it is it like, what does this year hold for me? What should I do in terms of relationship or work? But some sort of specific question. And then you engage in wild divination and you approach it from a place of play and joy and curiosity rather than this fierce, serious, like, um, you know, hard-edged sort of <laughs> standpoint. Um, and, and you just see what messages you get and you record them and you might do that once, or you might do that for, um, you know, a, a, a few days in a row or on the full moons during winter or something like that. Um, and then you see what the patterns are in those messages. And I think that, that that's a great practice. There's also pyromancy where you do sort of the same thing, but you're doing it by gazing into a candle or a hearth fire fireplace or something like that. Um, but it's just a, approaching mystery in this way where it's not so serious and it's very open hearted, open minded. Um, and, and I think that, you know, th that, that then sets the tone for the rest of the year where it doesn't have to be so, so serious all the time. <laughs> right. Okay. So yeah, I've had a divination done, uh, before and it was similar, you know, it's like there were all these different shells and, you know, then you spread them out and the shaman actually read them and it was, it was wild. Mm. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is yeah. crazy. But, but the shaman was reading it for me as opposed to me making sense of it. But really I like that idea, um, too, of the person gathering these things from nature. And what it sounds like is when you throw them and you're looking at them, you're in contemplation too of metaphor, right? So mm -hmm. let's say, um, I don't know, let's throw something out there. Like maybe the question could be, am I, will I find a relationship? Will I be in love this year? And maybe if you're throwing stuff down, there's two stones and two stones kind of fall right next to each other. Maybe mm -hmm. I might consider that to be a metaphor of, Oh, maybe somebody's coming in. Or maybe if all the so stones are scattered, maybe I might get an intuitive message like, Oh, this is the time to be with yourself. Is that how people would kind of make sense of the message that they're receiving from the objects in nature? Right, exactly. So, so it's kind of, um, I usually tell people to try to not intellectualize it too much. Um, and first just look at the, the spread as a whole. So same thing, magic eye puzzle eyes, kind of let your gaze go fuzzy. What's the feeling you get immediately looking at this? So, so, you know, maybe everything is very scattered, but you kind of get this feeling of ease for some reason. And that that would be more important than, you know, your, your mind kind of thinking, well, well, everything, all these pieces are scattered. Um, and I, what comes to mind is that I did this with uh, a large group of women once. And this, <laughs> one of the women was trying to decide whether to leave a, a relationship, very long, um, relationship that had become, um, no longer good for her. And so she threw all of these objects and there was one feather that just like flew up in the air and we all watched it like spiral around and land like as far away from us as it possibly could. <laughs> wow. And it was like, well, that's a clear message, <laughs> right? right? So we didn't have to intellectualize that. But yeah, usually it's about the the, the overall feeling that you get from from the spread. 
Wow. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you for, for that idea. I think that this is going to come in very helpful as is your book. You know, I I think even though I, I have not deemed myself a witch or call myself a witch, uh, what I loved as a facilitator of workshops and working with women and reading all of these different rituals that you have in here, they're really beautiful and they can really give a teacher that is connected, you know, in spirituality and doing healing work, um, you know, ideas to use in, in some of these groups and, and offerings that, you know, we're giving. So I, I find it, I'm going to be finding it to be a very useful tool for myself. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And so I know we're coming to a close a little bit here, but, uh, you also have a great website and you have on there study with me. You have witching moon apprentice, you have online Mm -hmm. offerings, the yoga teacher training and other in-person events. So I'd like people to learn a little bit more about how they can work with you if they feel called to do that after listening to this podcast. Yeah, so um, I've got a lot of things brewing in 2019, so I, I'm taking my own advice and using all of the tools that I gathered during the portal year. Um, so right now, uh, I do have an apprenticeship that, that's full at the moment, but it'll open again in spring. Um, I do travel quite a bit, so so there'll be more offerings as we get toward um toward March, um, uh, sort of in, in different areas along the East coast. Um, I just got back from the West coast, so I won't be returning there for a few months, but, um, yeah, all of those different offerings are on there. There's also, I have an online course on embodied witchcraft that, um, is uh, open on an ongoing break basis. So that's on there as well. Um, and then I teach a lot out of uh, my home studio in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. Great. And, you know, I I do want to touch upon the yoga portion before we close too, because yoga is important. I love that you're incorporating that. And why is it so important to you as a part of this whole process? So it's, to me, it's the body in in a spiritual practice, but, but witchcraft in particular is absolutely everything. Um, because our, the witchcraft tradition, it's, it is doing the work of kind of rallying against the notion that our spirituality needs to be severed from the body. So whenever we embody our craft, whether we are, you know, moving in a body prayer during a manifestation spell or, or, um, you know, dancing in order to raise energy or something like that, um, we are saying our bodies are holy, um, just as holy as any prayer or hymn would be. So, so to me, um, embodying divinity and holiness, sanctity, um, is very much the work of the witch. Ah, okay. Very interesting. I don't think I've ever looked at yoga maybe in that way. And maybe <laughs> my next yoga class, you know, I'll just keep that in the back of my mind here. So, yeah. well, awesome. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Path Love and Podcast. Uh, listeners, we will have all of her information in the show notes. But if you are listening now, you want to head on over to her website. It is DanielleDulsky.com, D-U-L-S-K-Y. And I love your energy. I, I love the Thank work you. that you're doing. So, um, <laughs> Very much luck to you. And of course, if you have more books coming out um, and anything else going on, we'd love to uh, have you back on. Great. Thank you so much, April. 
Thanks for listening to the Path 11 podcast today. I hope you all enjoyed this show. And if you haven't checked out our Patreon page, I'd like you to do so because we are going to start putting some content over there that is only for our Patreon subscribers. You can get content for as little as donating a dollar a month, and it could just be a one-time donation. We have other freebies over there that you can get depending upon how much you would like to donate. And again, it could be a one-time donation, or you can continue to keep your subscription on a monthly basis at that donation level, but I just put my MBT immersive experience, which was a four-day four day intensive meditation training in Tennessee with physicist Tom Campbell. I was listening to binaural beats, going to altered states of consciousness, having out-of-body experiences and life-changing experiences that I was able to bring back uh, for myself, for my clients, for my friends that was just out of this world. So if you would like to listen to that, I'd like you to head on over to path11podcast.com. You're going to see an orange button that says Patreon. Become a Patreon today and you can have access to that podcast. And I would like to remind you to head on over to path11productions.com and check out the membership that we have for the Afterlife Awareness Conference. We have over 25 hours of footage with amazing speakers like William Buhlman, Thomas John, Terry Daniel, Suzanne Geisman, Suzanne Northrup, Linda Fitch, uh, Austin Wells, just a few people Uh, to name off that were amazing. These workshops are just so valuable. So I think that you would really enjoy it. It's also a great thing to think about to maybe give the gift to somebody who is struggling with grief. If you are looking for resources, this is a great conference to send people to to check out. And thanks again for listening today. 